Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And talking to a lot of these athletes in private, they agree with a lot of what's being said on Fox News. They just won't say it because they're scared. And that's just the reality. guest today is the host of Chef Talk on NYY News TV on YouTube. He is also a writer for Outkick.com. Very pleased to welcome Gary Sheffield Jr. Gary, are you ready to roar? I wish I was mature enough to roar on camera, but I'm not, so I'm definitely ready. Some would say roaring is immature. I mean, so I don't I don't know which which way to go with that, but comfortable. <laughs> but you are indeed ready. <laughs> Um, As far as I'm concerned, you've been out there roaring uh, for as long as I've been following you. I mean, I think I originally came upon you. uh, Well, obviously, I recognize the name because I grew up watching your dad. But then I I was following you for a lot of your sports commentary. But then I I started seeing a lot of like what some might call political commentary coming in, talking about a lot of the COVID stuff. So you're really not afraid to to speak your mind either way. So as far as I'm concerned, you've been roaring, Gary. But um, I want to kind of start just getting to know you a little bit better. Um, It would probably be silly to ask how your interest in sports first started, but I am kind of more curious how growing up, how you kind of gained that interest in sports, but then when and how you decided to turn that into a career and how you sort of built your own little brand of sports journalism. I'm going to have to blame my mom on this one. She's the one who got me into Twitter and Twitter for a lot of people now who look at the platform today, it's not, it's not the way it was now. It used to actually get people to engage in conversation. That's what it was initially intended for. And I realized pretty early on that if I said whatever I wanted, Some people actually really enjoy that. And that's really what I've done. And that's the platform that I've grown is just by saying what I feel. And I always was, I always thought that other people were going to do the same thing as me. They were going to say what they really thought. But now everyone's so motivated with, with pressures from their employers and future ventures that people never really say what they think. You pretty much have to know people on a personal level to get there. And for people who see me on Twitter, um, at least the positive sides of me, you you get to see what I'm actually like, what I actually think. And and I'm glad some people enjoy that. Has that always come very naturally for you, just kind of speaking your mind? Or is it something you had to work your way into? Because I, especially getting into an industry like this, I mean, a lot of the major players in these industries, they're, they have certain ways of thinking. They have certain things that they probably don't want, wouldn't want a sports journalist to say. So did you ever hesitate and say, maybe I should kind of count, slow my roll on this stuff because I might want to work for XYZ or were you always just kind of gun, guns blazing on this? Every once in a while, yeah, well, we know what to say and what not to say. Some things are across the line, but, um, and sometimes we'll accidentally go across that line. But um, as long as the intentions are there, I'm not too worried about it. And honestly, it's both of my parents. My entire family, were like half my family is Jewish and a lot of us, we joke around, we mess around. Um, a lot of it's honest commentary. 
and and sometimes we're a little harsh and in being raised in that culture twitter and saying what i feel it just comes natural i i didn't feel like i had to coach myself or or learn from anybody else it really was family environment and some people's families they they teach their kids that everyone's feelings matter and if somebody's offended by what you do you need to change what you do at the very least you need to alter what you do and that's just not the environment i was raised in as long as the intentions are positive then all is fair game I'm curious, you know, you have been commenting a lot ever since I really came upon you about COVID, uh, lockdowns, masks, all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious, going back before that, were you, obviously you always probably had thoughts of your own, but did you ever consider yourself political or did you have like a real political philosophy or ideology behind you? Or is this, did COVID make you more political? COVID probably made everyone more political. I, I think that's fair to say, because you can see which side aligns with what no matter what the narratives are all um, strategic and when they happen, where they happen. And for me, people always said, well, you seem pretty libertarian. And I think that's fair to say. I, I've always just gone where I, where I please, whether it was gay marriage or, or any other, any other argument that people had, I don't care about someone's political alignment. I'm going to engage with people that, that say one thing that I like. I'll engage that person. If someone says something I dislike, I will engage them as well. So I'm, I, ha- I take no prisoners. I don't care if somebody's conservative or liberal. I just en- enjoy poli- I just enjoy banter and, and talking. I always thought that people were going to enjoy having engagements more the way that I did in elevator talk. But I'm starting to realize now that I'm in my late 20s that people don't enjoy banter if it doesn't agree with them. Some people don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm a banter guy too. That's why I started a podcast where I can bring on people that I, that, whose banter I enjoy and, you know, have banter with them too. Yeah. But I, I guess it's, it's, it's not for everybody, I, I suppose. Um, but you know, uh, what, one thing I'm kind of curious about what your mindset was, especially considering that basketball and baseball are the two of the primary sports you cover when you saw this COVID stuff first starting to hit in March, 2020, and we first, you know, it was the NBA I forget which exactly was first, but the, M- the NBA and MLB both shut down around the same time. I believe it was the M- NBA first, but what were your thoughts when this first started coming in? I mean, and, and especially when you saw these sports leagues that you cover for a living starting to shut down. My thought was that these leagues are going to be an extension of CNN and MSNBC and a, a whole lot of pretending to care about other people that have nothing to do with them. And that's just the way that they do things. And I anticipated that and it's exactly what happened. And I always felt that they were never going to come around to what the average middle-class American has been saying for two years until it started to impact them. It started to impact their business. And now you see that they're not so worried about COVID. You haven't seen anybody in the NFL and the NFL playoffs be out with COVID because it's starting to impact their business. And once it impacted their business, the way it did the middle class, that's when you started seeing them make sense. That's when you started seeing NBA commissioner, Adam Silver say, we need to start to live with COVID. These are all conclusions that we, me and you have have drawn for the past two years. And Mm -hmm. I always knew that they were going to be wasting our time. And we essentially had to ignore the things that they were saying until we get to this point, which hopefully we're we're starting a, a turnaround. Of course, there's a there's a midterm election, which how convenient, right? That that we're approaching that that they're starting to make sense. But hopefully, it's too late for them. We get some real leaders in there. All right, gang. Well, one thing that it is definitely not too late to do that is to invest in cryptocurrencies, try to protect your future from inflation, and the best way to do that is with our friends at iTrust Capital. 
and this is really truly one of my favorite sponsors, not just because I, I love what they're doing, but you know, they, let's be honest, they've paid us a lot of money over these over the last year or so, and that is because you guys have been responding to this advertisement for our friends at iTrust Capital. These guys let you invest in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. They have the lowest fees on the market. You can do so all within the tax structure of a, structure of a traditional IRA and protect those gains from that's right, taxation, which you know is creeping in here on cryptocurrencies uh, as we speak. Not just creeping in, I mean, it's here. <laughs> it is absolutely here. So the, the better you can protect the gains on those assets, uh, the better off you're going to be. And our friends at iTrust Capital are experts at that. So check it out right now because not only are they waiving their fees if you go sign up at our link, you are also going to get $100 in Bitcoin. So head over to itrust.capital slash lions today. How do you think we got here? And in, in just in terms of, of what you're describing, in terms of how many of the sports leagues have basically been become extensions of CNN, like you said, because yeah. um, when I grew up, or at least that's how it felt to me that like sports were for the everyman. I mean, it was even even now, like when I would try to go to a game in Los Angeles, just looking at the prices, I would just think this isn't really for everybody now. When But when I was a kid, I mean, I just remember it being seeming so maybe it wasn't because I wasn't paying for the tickets, but it seemed like something just that you could anybody could go to anybody could be involved with. And and it was the escape. You know, if you want, if you were sick of politics, if you were sick of the real world, great, grab a beer, toss on the ball game. But now you grab a beer, toss on the ball game. You're not just not escaping. You're being more absorbed into these narratives. Right. So <laughs> have you seen that progression occur in your own life? Because I, I feel like I just woke up one day and everything had changed. Well, to me, the only thing that's really responsible now is that you're seeing the effects of Donald Trump. And mm. now the the mainstream media, they saw how threatening Donald Trump was. He was starting to enable the middle class American. And that's the worst possible thing, even enabling the poor when when black Americans are having more wealth, more land, and, and they're invested in the stock market more often than they ever were under the Trump administration. That is a less controllable unit as a group. Hmm. And that's not good for our government. Our government thrives. They thrive off of having control of their people. That's just, This is everyone. This is not just the United States. You see it in the UK. You see it. It doesn't matter where you go. All governments love having control over their people. And for all time history, people, for the most part, they love controlling others. And Donald Trump was not of that mold. Everything he did was essentially to rid the government of control for the people. And then now you're seeing the ripple effect of that. They're trying to go the opposite direction. And if they go far enough this direction, we're not going to be able to have the power to take it. We're not going to be able to bring it back to where it was. And for the mainstream media, that's a good thing. And for the American people, it sucks. I think that's one thing that I have realized over the last couple of years, something you mentioned there that a lot of people really do want to control others. I think for a long time, I just assumed that other people were like me and just wanted to be left alone and wanted to let others be left alone and just maybe needed the right push to see how that translated to their politics or something like that. But the last two years have really allowed or given voice, you might say, to the controllers, to the controlling types, right. um, the helicopter moms or what have you. But now they're not just helicopter moms for their kids. They're helicopter moms for like me walking down the street. Not anymore, thankfully, because I, I left Los Angeles. But I, I would literally, I mean, I would see people I, no joke, run away from me. Like across when they would see me coming yeah. without a mask from 40 feet away, run across the street. Um, now you were until pretty recently in, in the San Diego area. What, what was your perspective as you saw this controlling type of person, as you described, start to sort of uh, rear their ugly heads in, in real life and start to control people just walking around, minding their own business. It was another country, California, 
in New York are just two totally different worlds than the rest of the United States. And you're starting to see that people are taking vacation. They're in Florida. You saw AOC do the exact same thing. They're not AOC and, and Barack Obama. These are not stupid people. In, in reality, they know what needs to be done. But for their benefit, they're going to do the opposite. And that's really what's at work here. And going to California, you, nobody is going to vacation in California anymore because it's not a vacation. People who are in California are essentially are interested in telling people that they're from California as if it's a destination. And to be frank with you, I felt the same way. 15 years ago, California, 20 years ago, California was a destination. It was a place that you went to relax, beautiful views, beautiful real estate, every and, and beautiful people. And now you're seeing uh, overpopulated streets with homelessness, um, people dying from COVID at higher rates than they are in open states. And you're seeing just gross and just negligence just all across the board and right now if if people don't believe what you say which is fine they just need to see where people are moving are people moving to california are people moving to texas don't ever the people are going to move where it's best that's just how it goes and when you see arizona as the the most growing state florida the most growing states in the united states that should tell people exactly what they're seeing in california what they're seeing in new york and and frankly it's sad because i i wish that california and new york and all those big cities can be back to the reality that they were at 20 years ago because that was when i was there most often it was 15 20 years ago as a kid and now this the place is just a wasteland it's sad did you have like a, a specific breaking point or something that just made you finally say all right we we got to get the hell out of here we we got to get out of san diego cuz i mean one thing i think a lot of people can't realize is, is it's become kind of like a trope talking about Los Angeles or California's homeless problem. Right. And I, when I, when I first used moved there, maybe 20 years ago, it was like what you might call, I don't know, normal homeless people. Like I would see people that were homeless and a lot of them would just seem like normal people who literally just got down their luck. And I, I generally never felt threatened, but in the past couple of years, it's, a, it's just become a different kind of homeless, at least in Los Angeles. I don't know how it has been in San Diego for you, but I don't know what happened. I mean, I know what happened. A lot of things happened, but I mean, it, it has gone from just homeless people that you are not worried about to like, they're everywhere and they're scary. <laughs> yeah. And in, from my experience at the very beginning of the pandemic, just prior to the pandemic, I actually moved out of my mom's house and, and she, because she was moving to San Diego. And so hmm. I was like, okay, well, San Diego, beautiful city. Um, great city, by the way, San Diego is fantastic. My awesome. mom moved down there and I said, okay, well, I'm going to probably save some money. And she said, well, you can move in with me, stay for a little bit. And if you want to stay in California, you can find a place of your own. So I said, great. I was there for maybe four or five months, save some money. And during my entire stay there, there were homeless people in downtown San Diego. This is a nice area falling out of bushes, just jumping at you, grabbing you. And I'm sitting here thinking, imagine, and, and people all across the world, they think California, San Diego, LA, they think beautiful palm trees, the beach. They're thinking David Lee Roth, California girl. Because that, that's <laughs> it's what they're shown. And it's and it's all your perception is your reality. People's the reality of Africa is that nobody has water, nobody has running water, there's no electricity. That's not a that's not real reality. When you actually visit people from Africa tell me all the time, your perception is not your reality. We have infrastructure. We have things that the things that look like chilies, the the all American apple pie, all that stuff. We have all those things here. And people legitimately watch their certain network 
and they look at it and say, that's reality. And they, they turn their shoulder to the, what's actually going on. And, and they'll ignore the real problems that are facing California right now. And as soon as I saw the reality in California, I said, there's no way these people don't think they're responsible for what's going on here. I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can, because my family did try to get me to stay. Can't wait to get out of here because I know these people will never look themselves in the mirror. I'm, un- I'm aware of that. And as soon as I was aware of that, I hightailed it right back to Arizona and it was the best thing I ever did. How, how long were you in San Diego before you came back to Arizona? Six months. Didn't take me long. Well, that's it. Oh, so this was a really short experiment. Yeah, huh? no, it was a, it was a <laughs> sample and it was plenty long. The six months felt like a long time. It had nothing to do with being around my family and all that. Like they're great, but I mean, this is downtown San Diego. It's not like I was in the ghetto. This is downtown San Diego, right outside of the Padre stadium, right outside Petco park. And you would think that it was clean. It was, it was full of just young and spry people. And it's like, it was essentially a bunch of good looking people stepping over homeless people and they're bust there. They're bust there from Arizona. They're bust there. Homeless people are bust from all over the country to San Diego. And, and they essentially just to say, we'll, we'll take your homeless and we'll, we'll alleviate this problem. And essentially they're just bringing in all these homeless people and pretending that they can be the solution when they are the heart of the problem. And hey, you'd be a fool to move in there at this point. Wait, so are, are they literally put on, because I, I mean, you say this and I think of the South Park episode immediately when they're putting them all on buses from South Park to send them to California yeah. where it's cool to be homeless. They're literally put on buses because I, I, I actually didn't know. They're quite literally put on buses and I've witnessed homeless people all get on one bus and, and there's a freeway called, it's the eight. And it directs you straight to San Diego and the convention center, which is right there downtown on the water is, was shut down. It used to be used. A lot of people would use it for, for working out and and for conference, big conferences for billion dollar corporations. They'd come in there and have these, these large extravagant meetings. And they completely shut that down during the pandemic. And they were living, the homeless people were living in the convention center. And anybody who's from San Diego will, will vouch for me and tell you that it's true. And that's just really sad because you're destroying a beautiful city. You're destroying a beautiful state. Do we have any idea who they are? <laughs> who those they? Who is actually putting homeless people on buses and sending them to places like? Because it's it's the same thing in L.A., man. Like I when I first started going there in like the early 2000s, you go to Santa Monica. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Now you go to Santa Monica. It's literally just a, a place where homeless people live. Yeah. I mean, there's there's the, the parks and, and you're not allowed to, t- to t- kick them out. That's part of the law. So, of course, they come and, and rest in the park. But this bus thing is wild. So who's actually behind this? Is it like is it California? Is it other places that are sending them here knowing that, you know, nothing will happen? It's local leadership. And ultimately, in your district, you have authority of who comes and goes and they're, they're refusing to recognize who the problem is. And the problem is, is we're accepting of all homelessness. We don't, we don't, okay, well, if taxes are this. And when I was looking at, I'm like, I used to look at homeless people and say, how do they get to that point? How does it get to this point? It's really sad. I used to walk by people and, and think that. And as a young person, I mean, I was in my mid twenties, I'm sitting there thinking, if you're paying these type of taxes and I've talked to my mom, I've talked to my family and said, how much money does it take to really make a living in California, to really make a dent? And they're saying, well, you're probably going to have to make anywhere between $125,000 to $150,000 a year. And if you have a job that doesn't commute, you're working remote, 
It's very hard to find a job that you can work remote that's going to pay you $150,000 to be a middle-class American. So realistically, the, any young person that's in California that's on their own is likely making average in the country, which is anywhere in the low 50s to mid 40s. You're not making a dent in your rent in California. So you need three roommates if you're making that you, in California. You need three roommates and things happen. You, one roommate bails. One roommate gets sick, has to go back and live with mom and dad. Things happen. In Arizona, you might be able to, or another state where, where rent makes more sense, the inflation is, is making more sense, you might be able to get away with it for a few months, be able to stay on your feet. It's very easy to get knocked down in California. It's just, it just is. And there's just too much pressure. There's too much pressure on all these people who live there right now. And that's why you're seeing so many people leave. And it's frustrating to some people who are staying because they're looking at it and saying, we're just giving away our state, which... I agree with that in some sense, but at the same time, you'd be a fool to waste the next eight to 10 years of your life fighting when you only get to be here for 75 years. So it is a hard, it's a tough call to make. And I don't blame people for leaving. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people who probably feel similarly to to you and I, but they've been there so long. I mean, I was there for almost 20 years, but they've been there so long, or maybe some of them have been there their whole lives and they kind of have this attitude as like, it's kind of like the the office space. Uh, Michael Bolton, you know, he's the one who sucks. Why should I change? You know, yeah. it's like they're the ones who suck. Why should I leave my home? Yeah. But everybody does have their breaking point. I certainly reached mine. It didn't take you long to get to yours either. Yeah. I'm curious. You know, you you talk to a lot of athletes, and you have your pulse on a lot of. I, I imagine on a lot of what what a lot of them think. Is there? Is there a lot of recognition of what you started off talking this interview about, about how sports leagues have sort of evolved to become extensions of CNN, extensions of official political narratives? And again, it's just it's to the point that it's not even seen as politics because it's just seen as that's what that's what happens with these pervasive narratives. They're not seen as being political. CNN doesn't say we're getting political. They say we're just reporting the the fact as the narrative. And we're seeing the same thing in sports. But how how aware are other athletes just that in a, in a general sense that you get a sense from of what's going on here? The athletes are full aware. And this is and if people don't believe that you, you know, that Le- LeBron James, who is obviously a huge figure in, in all sp- in sports talk and political talk, he's very involved and nothing he's said over the past two to three to, to five years has been conservative or has agreed with anyone that was conservative. However, when the vaccine, when it really came down to it and everyone said, we are forced to get the vaccine and not only us, but him, once he was forced to do what we have to do, now suddenly they're starting to make more sense. Now, suddenly, while some of them might get vaccinated, they are still arguing. You saw Draymond Green do the same thing. I tweeted and it was really just a video of Draymond Green saying why are they pushing this vaccine so hard? The reason they were bringing that to the forefront is because now they had to get in line. And that's mm-hmm. where you start to understand of what they really think. When people, I don't ever really listen to what people say and say, now I know what they think. It's not that simple. What do they yeah. do? What does this person do with their time? And if that person is acting on it, that's what they really feel. And based on what I've heard and talking to a lot of these athletes in private, they agree with a lot of what's being said on Fox News. They just won't say it because they're scared. And that's just the reality. It's really interesting to me because when I think about who who I would imagine would be afraid to speak their mind, 
I don't imagine someone with a large multi-million dollar guaranteed contract being a. I mean, in my mind, right. if I had a contract like that, I would be so free to speak my mind. I mean, I'm, right. I have nothing like that now, and I speak my mind. So, but it, it actually seems like for many people, it's the opposite. They have this giant contract. They're associated with a sports league. They feel they can't speak their mind, even though they have that kind of guaranteed money. I mean, do any of these leagues have clauses? Like if you, you know, if you, if you say certain things, we can get out of your country. I mean, what is the fear there really? Is it just acceptance? Well, I mean, you, you saw with Andrew Wiggins at the Warriors, he was going to have his entire contract void. Kyrie Irving lost half of his contract this year because he can't play home games. Now, where we thought these were fully guaranteed contracts, mm-hmm. you're, we're starting to see that they're not. They're not fully guaranteed. They can essentially just throw on new caveats into if you're not eligible, if you don't have the latest booster, you are not a vaccinated player and you can lose half of your money. So if you're obviously speaking out against it, you're going to be acting against it as well. And you're going to be losing out on money. And so no one really wants to lose out on money. And plenty of people tell me, well, if I was making $100 million and $20 million a year, I would be more likely to speak out. But you don't see that, do you? Well, the reason we don't see it is that everyone's always trying to make the extra dollar. Any extra dollar that you can make, people do because your perspective is different. To somebody who's missing out on $100,000, to someone who makes 50, that seems like a lot of money and so on. It just continues. So that's the reason you haven't seen many players talk out on like what's, what's really going on, what needs to be done. But thankfully in the NBA, like Adam Silver, the NFL, they stopped testing. You, they said if, if guys are asymptomatic, we're going to stop testing you. And we've been asking that stuff to happen for two years. And now that it's finally impacting them, we're getting some realistic thoughts. It's really a fascinating thought process because like you said that my natural instinct is to think oh, I'd be so free if I had all this money but but think about that that money is tied to something even yeah. if it, like you said it's guaranteed well there's also an army of lawyers that, that these sports leagues have and and guarantees cannot be a guarantee and this used to be where the unions would come in this used to be kind of like the advantage of having a sports league well you can't just add new requirements on we're going to come defend our player but now it seems that the unions themselves seem to largely be on board with the vaccines with the boost and with the entire narrative, which means that in, at least on this issue, they aren't they don't seem to be really helping the players that the, the few players that are speaking it out that are standing up against this stuff. Yeah, no, and not at all. And the thing about the players is that they're not necessarily worried about their contracts. They're worried about endorsements. And if hmm. on Forbes, LeBron James recently became a billionaire. Well, majority of that is not from contracts. He makes about forty five, forty million dollars a year. It's a lot of money. But when you're talking about a guy who's worth a billion dollars, that's a thousand million dollars. That's a lot of money. So he finds that in his couch. Where does that money come from? Well, it comes from China. Comes from it comes from Nike. It comes from these various companies. And what do China, Nike, and all these other companies? What do they have in Disney? What do they have in common? They all agree with CNN, MSNBC. So failing to align with those companies is a bad business choice. It just is, especially when you're an NBA player. So when you see someone speaking out, Kyrie Irving speaking out. Disney and all those companies are less likely to want to promote you and it's less money in your pocket. So it's, it's a tough choice, but a choice that has to be made. Especially, I mean, someone like me might think of a hundred million dollar contract and think, wow, this person has so much money. Well, a half of that's gone in taxes right away, yep. <laughs> but B they, they, B, they have lifestyles that match that contract. Usually, right. you know, they have mansions, they have huge houses, they have all these cars, they have all these people that need to pay. So if that is under threat, I mean, not only is their current lifestyle under threat, I mean, they might need to start liquidating assets if they lose one of these contracts. Yeah. I mean, that's the people do for 
forget that is that you have bills of a person who makes $40 million a year. So it's not just a person making 40 million living in your, your $345,000 house that you have in North Dakota. No, they have bills that they have to pay. And I'm not saying that they're in this, that they're struggling or anything like that. But when you suddenly are making $45 million and that money goes down to zero or 20, it changes things. And all of our budgets usually are in accordance with what we make and they're no different. So that's the reason that you see people so hesitant. And I hope that we see more though. All right, guys, I got to take a quick time out to tell you about our good friends, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar and their incredible CBD company, Paloma Verde CBD. You can find them at palomaverdecbd.com. And there is simply nowhere else you should be turning to for your CBD products, whether you use them for aches and pains For dealing with a little of that insomnia or just general stress, CBD is a fantastic resource without having to worry about getting all high or anything like that, uh, like you would from the THC component. Uh, This is CBD is purely the non-psychoactive part of the marijuana plant. Uh, Extremely helpful for all, all sorts of things. Also for your pets, it can really help your pets too. And you can find everything you could possibly need tinctures gummies the gummies my god the gummies are delicious you can find them all over at paloma verde cbd.com but the best part is you got to use promo code roar and you will get 25 percent off any order over 75 dollars and free shipping that's right and free shipping check it out paloma verde cbd.com do not forget to use that discount code roar for a tremendous discount of all the the sports leagues out there are there certain ones that you think have handled this COVID stuff best? And my definition of best is not the same as the CNN's definition of best or like the harshest or strictest. And it's probably not yours either. But I, are there certain leagues that stand out as handling this better or more reasonably towards the players than others? Baseball didn't do a terrible job because there was a shutdown. Like there would be an entire team of outbreaks and they would move the away team. They do all the testing, whatever. I mean, we didn't know much about COVID. And then they wouldn't just shut down the whole league because that's all Twitter wants to do. You got to shut it down. You got to shut it down. They just wanted everything to shut down. But baseball was like really in the height of COVID. And they're looking at it and saying, it's not plausible to shut this entire thing down. We lost it. We lost the season. We can't do that. And so once they saw that, they were actually starting to make some sense with, with at least with some of the protocols. The NFL made no sense. The NFL was just like, you have a vaccine, you have a booster, you can come in this room, but you can't. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, we are making literally no sense. And even in baseball, we saw, we saw the entire New York Yankees bust out with COVID. The entire team essentially was vaccinated. And we're looking at it and saying, how exactly are you guys shutting anything down? According to your, according to Dr. Fauci, according to the federal government, you guys should be perfectly fine. 100% of your climate is vaccinated. There's no reason to be shutting down. So in hindsight, none of them did it perfect or anywhere close to it, but baseball, they weren't as bad as these other leagues. All right. Well then on, on the flip side, and I, it, it sounds like you're le- leaning towards one league, but would, would you call the NFL kind of the worst or maybe most ridiculous in terms of how this has been handled? The NFL was a joke and you saw DeAndre Hopkins tweet and say that they're forcing him, they're forcing him and ESPN, of course, owned by Disney, all their talking heads were saying. We're not forcing you. We're not forcing you. And it's every it's everything that the middle class has been hearing for two years. We're not forcing you to do anything. The only thing we're doing is telling you that you're going to be fired and be homeless if you don't do what we say. So that's really what the NFL was doing. They were doing it to some of their best players that they had. But the NFL knows that people usually root for the shield. 
the best player in the NFL, which to me is Aaron Donald, if he was out and because of his COVID stance and we never saw him again, the Rams would still be a popular organization because fans in the NFL root for the shield. They root for the Rams and these other sports leagues. It's the opposite. That's why they can be so reckless in how they treat some of these players. And that's what you saw in the NFL. They didn't care if it was Aaron Rodgers, they would treat you like dirt. And that, and that's, that's pretty sad. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it that way, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know so how many people do we know who are just diehard whatever fans. It doesn't really change based on who's how good the team is. I mean, I'm a Bills fan, so it's never been how good the team has been doing for me until until someone until someone recently. Um, so, what about how certain players? I mean, in the beginning, at least when we're talking about the NFL, like I, I feel like I think Cole Ble- Beasley was like the most outspoken on the vaccine stuff. But you know, it was always, to me, it always seemed like people would think, "Well, who the hell is Cole Beasley?" I mean, even though he's a great player, who the hell is Cole Beasley? Why do we care what he thinks? What an idiot to take the stance. But then, then you see Aaron Rodgers coming out and really taking a stance on this stuff. And st- even like like you said, even a superstar player like Aaron Rodgers, who you would think would be worth so much to this league. I guess they're not really though. They take the stance and they get treated like Colby. Not that Colby should be treated poorly either, but it does seem like the NFL just has no very little, I should say respect for individual players. Like you pointed out, they have zero respect and this should show people, not even just the people who are against the COVID protocols, the people who are, it should go to show them that they're just useful morons. That's really what it comes down to. If, and you see at the general public ESPN, all these networks, they will treat you like somebody who you're not a doctor. You shouldn't be speaking. Why are you talking about COVID? And the only reason that they'll ever say that is if you disagree. But just so happens if Aaron Rodgers was a COVID freak and all he wanted to do was promote COVID vaccines, boosters, if he had an organization, we're going to get, we're going to, I'm going to buy, sell out one or rent out one of my houses and I'm going to have children lining up in the streets in, in Beverly Hills to get their booster shots. Would anybody say, what qualified him to talk about boosters? No, they wouldn't. And it should show people who agree, maybe I'm not supported. Maybe they don't actually like me. Maybe they just think I'm useful. And they apparently, a lot of these athletes haven't thought that far. And Aaron Rodgers is seeing firsthand. If you go against the grain, they will treat you. They will tell you exactly how they really felt about you. And in, in a lot of times, and especially in my line of work, it's always nice to know at least how people feel about you instead of having people pretend to like you because you're saying something you don't actually believe in. Right. Do you think it's, we might see certain players like Aaron Rodgers who, well, I don't know. I don't want to assume the finances of anybody who makes millions of dollars, but I, I assume Aaron Rodgers could re, could stop playing this year and and be fine financially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, do you think some players might just say, "Why? Why is? Why am I still doing this? Like, I'm I I have more than enough money. My family is set for the rest of their lives. Why should I put up with this anymore?" And do you think we might see some players just going into early retirements here because they're if they if these leagues continue these policies, which is something else we can get to. The players who are on the bubble of playing, and and I'm sure in the NFL probably more than any other sport the players consider do i want to play am i invested enough to play in this because it's a lot to play in the nfl physically and mentally and some of those guys who are on the fence of retiring i can't see why i wouldn't change their mind say yeah let me just lean towards getting back to the family life and obviously we have the money but for the players who obviously aren't in the position where they're financially set they're probably still going to play because they have to but but some of the guys who are who are set in still on the fence. Yeah, I can see it. I can actually see it changing some guys' minds. Well, time will tell. Um, 
Moving on a little bit, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on uh, I mean, baseball is my sport. That's the sport I grew up watching. That's the sport I've been the most passionate about. Although I, I will say, I don't know how you were during the, this initial, that, that kind of first season, not just of baseball, but of any sport, really. I basically couldn't watch sports during that first season of the pandemic because right. one thing I realized, I can't watch sports without fans. It's like it's like an excruciating experience to me to watch sports, to watch a home run or a grand slam, and there's just nobody there reacting at all, even if they p- pump in the crowd noise or something. But I, I do want to get your thoughts on uh, the MLB lockout and where you see that going. Well, first off, sports are nothing without fans. And I, and I don't mean that in – I mean that in a literal sense mm-hmm. because – the excitement is what makes everything. And I personally don't watch a ton of WWE, but I WWE, do. So I'm an expert on this part. Right. And WWE is literally special because of the fanfare yes. and the fans involvement. And that's special. And when you watch it and you'll see some highlights and I saw when CM Punk returned mm-hmm. and you're oh, yeah. seeing those type of chants and you're still, you can't sit there and say, well, if the fans were in here, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't make a difference. CM Punk is still returning. People would be excited. And while that's true, it wouldn't be nearly the same without the fanfare. And you saw that with baseball. They're like, we're going to do a 60 game season. We're still going to get the games in because they thought they were the feature. They were the show. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't realize is that the fans are the show right. spring training. It's the same thing. Spring training is nothing without the fanfare, without the margaritas, without everybody there, everybody in town. It's nothing. And we saw that. It was on full display. And now like now that we're down to it two years later, they're probably realizing that. We, we shouldn't really, except for Toronto, because Canada's just on their own beat. The Toronto Raptors had no fans. earlier. The, this is earlier this year. I couldn't even imagine if the, God, if even the this Lakers... Year. Wow. <laughs> This is this year and the, you know, the UK and everybody's sh- shutting down all those mandates. They're saying, well, let's get rid of them. They don't make sense. They even they'll admit these are just not making sense. Up there in Canada, they're just shutting down the entire facility and only the players are out there. And, and long behold, what happened to the ratings? They showed the local ratings. They plummet. And that's what happens. P- if people aren't engaged, don't ask them to watch. And, and me personally, I, I also hardly watched baseball during that short season. It was terrible. Yeah. It's just not fun. And, and a lot of what makes it fun is just the fact knowing other people care by feeling those stadiums. Yeah. I mean, and to that point, like, I mean, a three point buzzer beater in basketball is pretty cool. It's a pretty awesome moment, but it's not that exciting in an empty, in an empty room where no one reacts to it or a grand slam. Yeah. I'm sure the players are happy when they hit a grand slam, but if there's no fans out there, the, the, the reason the grand slam is exciting is because the place goes crazy and people are hugging each other and spilling right. their beers on each other. I mean, that's, what's exciting about sports. So you remove that and it just, yeah, I, I lost a whole season of pretty much every sport, including wrestling, sadly enough <laughs> during that time. Yeah, I couldn't believe they were doing wrestling without fans. Oh, yeah, that was that was actually just the worst. I mean, because this is like that's when you really notice it with wrestling, because they would come out and do their entrance in this empty place before they started. You know, they did some other bells and whistles to try to make it a little more exciting. But these guys are doing their poses and they're to nobody. And it was just almost comically. I could I at least could watch that because I found it so absurd that I could actually get a, a different kind of enjoyment out of the, the curiosity of it. But yeah, I mean, it's. Not meant to be without fans, any of this. Well, how about the NBA putting fans, their face on a screen? And I'm sitting there, I was looking at my family. I'm like, can you believe how stupid we are? I know, like, at this point, COVID is essentially, COVID is a pandemic for the unfit. And Mm -hmm. it's sad. It's still sad. 
But for the people who aren't in shape, who have pre-existing conditions, this is very dangerous for them. And what America is seeing is that we have a lot of people who are going unchecked, um, people without health insurance, people, um, people with pre-existing conditions that they don't even know about because they don't go and, and are people out of shape. And I'm sitting there looking at them going, we are sitting here as healthy Americans at home, watching a bunch of fans who are in shape, their faces on a screen acting like we have a flesh eating virus out here. This is not a flesh eating virus. This is not, I am legend. This is not world war Z. And we were treating it literally just like that. Like the world was ending. And 10 years ago, if you brought someone in here who just woke up from a coma, they'd go, what are you guys doing? They would have assumed that people were eating each other in the streets. And it just wasn't the case. It just wasn't. The people who were passing away were just not in shape. And that was, that was the gist of it. And, and some people will tell you, oh, no, my uncle's aunt, aunt's brother, they were in shape. No, they weren't. They just weren't. In shape people just weren't at risk. And no one will tell you that. And it's evident with the children. Children were at pretty much zero risk, scientifically speaking. It's because for the most part, they're the least likely people in the country to have pre-existing conditions. And so that's really all the proof you need. Right. I mean, and speaking of a pandemic of the unfit, I mean, in theory, who is more fit than our most professional athletes? You're not going to find people more fit in the in the entire universe than um, U.S. professional athletes. Right. So, and, but these are the people they're trying to force to take vaccines to keep their contracts and that, and that sort of thing. So it, it does make you think at some point, and I'm, I'm, like you said, this is already happening. Um, maybe they're just not blasting out their own headlines about it, but you have to think this is where certain players got to be thinking like, I spend my life staying in shape. This is my entire job is to be in yeah. great shape and you're telling me i have to take this this th- to protect me against this thing that only basically only targets people that are not in good shape on top of that now we're seeing now look i don't know some scientists might say there's no connection fine but i don't remember seeing a ton of soccer players collapse in the fields when i been until the last year uh maybe, maybe maybe once in a blue moon but now it seems to be happening a lot so there is at least some anecdotal evidence that some of these athletes and coincidentally all of them are vaccinated this happens to um that some of these athletes must be saying looking around and saying is this even worth the risk even if even with a lot of money online is this even worth is this worth my life if i collapse that on the field then this contract is meaningless to me and my family right and i've never gotten to the point where i'm anti-vax and and that's that's essentially what happens is someone's going to watch this video and mm-hmm. say well let's find a way to clip gary's talking for 12 seconds right. it'll it'll appear as if he's anti-vaccine and then we are going to promote the fact that he's anti-vax and hopefully less people watch his entertainment. That's really the gist of what you're saying. And I don't do that. I, yes, more soccer players probably collapse um, due to the vaccine, whatever, or whatever reason anybody wants to describe. Whether that was true or not, I would still say, okay, for the most part, did the vaccine help save lives? Yeah. So for me personally, I'm still not going to get it because I know I don't need it as an in-shape American. But if you're not, if you do have pre-existing conditions, you are an at-risk citizen, then you should consider it. I didn't say anyone should or shouldn't get it. What I said is that you should have the free choice and you should consider it. And if everyone had that mentality, we wouldn't be here today. But the reality is, is everyone pretended like you getting vaccinated was going to help somebody else. And that's not what the vaccine did, did it? No, the vaccine literally 
only impacted your individual case with COVID. And nobody still wants to admit that. They want to act like Aaron Rodgers as an unvaccinated person can infect the entire room and kill everybody, but nobody else who's vaccinated can. And now today we fast forward, no one's apologized to Aaron Rodgers, and a bunch of people who are positive with COVID are playing in the Super Bowl this upcoming Sunday. And and it's mind-blowing because they've taken away the protocols. Yeah. They took away the protocols and they're pretending that people with COVID who are vaccinated can't spread it. And that's that's the reality they're going to go with. And it never made any sense. It had nothing to do with science. Do you think it was as simple as the and specifically speaking of the NFL here as them saying we're coming into the playoffs? We've had a number of games of major games affected by COVID outbreaks where nobody was sick. Right. Uh, I think that's where I well I saw it from the beginning largely. But I mean, I do. I do remember like I think it was Matthew Stafford. I saw that that had tested positive. I think this is last season. And I remember yep. the entire conversation was not. Oh, my God, is he going to be OK? Oh, my God, we're worried about him. It was just, oh, no, he'll be back in 14 days once he passes the protocols. And no one was concerned. Not a single talking head was worried. Rightfully so. Because why would they be? Because why are we even doing this? It was like landing in jail on a Monopoly board. That's what it felt like. (laughs) They would be like, Aaron Rodgers has COVID. How do you feel, Aaron? And it's like, did anyone worry that Aaron Rodgers? People were literally tweeting, hey, man, prayers. I'm like, the only people saying prayers are people who are terrified of this virus. And I'm like, have you seen? And they're like, well, my uncle, I go, does your uncle look like Aaron Rodgers? (laughs) Does your does your uncle look like Aaron Donald? No, he doesn't. Is he is he 300 pounds of pure muscle with 3% body fat? No, he's not. So let's stop pretending that this isn't just essentially he just landed in jail. Oh, I've got this sickness. It was like someone had an STD. And they're just like, yep, you're not going to be good to go for two weeks. And then when you when you're ready to go, you can come on back. And I'm like, what are we doing with some of these athletes? These are the most fit athletes of all time. These guys, no one from the past, these guys, they're the most prepared. They're the healthiest. And with our nutrition, they are literally the healthiest specimens the world's ever seen. And we're pretending like a virus that is literally the flu for in-shape people is going to keep them out for two weeks and having that make any sense. That doesn't make sense. And, And it's obviously us, we know it, but there was nothing we can do to control it. They were literally forcing people to go home. And, and thankfully, this last December, they were, they were like, yeah, um, after five days, even if you have COVID, um, you don't have, you shouldn't be able to spread it too bad. So put a mask on and you'll go out. They essentially, that was really the breaking point this, this past Christmas where, where they just changed protocols and, and it started to at least make a hint of sense. I don't know all the specific details. Did they change any protocols for the unvaccinated as well? Or was that, does that only apply to vaccinated? I, I couldn't remember if it was vaccinated or unvaccinated, but for the most part, um, I mean, my family was like, yeah, I mean, after five days, you should be good to go. I was like, to be quite honest with you, after zero days, I was good to go. <laughs> right. I, if I had COVID and, and it's like, I feel 100%. I'm sitting in a house pretending like, had I been vaccinated, I would be, I would be good after three days. So you tested positive, but you never got sick. No, I mean, I literally like after three days, I'm sitting there in the room and I'm going, <laughs> so the rest of America, the rest of America thinks that if I was vaccinated, that I feel 100% today, but I would also feel 100%, but I would be able to go out there, still spread COVID. And it's any different than if I went out as an unvaccinated person, how does that make any sense? Yeah. And it's just 
completely void of logic. And so after like four or five days, I was like, well, I'm going to go out anyways. And then the protocols like happened to change that day. So maybe I spoke it into existence. <laughs> right. Um, so I do want to dovetail over to uh, discuss this current MLB lockout. So for anybody not familiar, what is what is the basis behind the lockout? What, why is this even happening in the first place for people that don't really follow the day-to-day -day, day of these sports? Well, they're having a huge issue with of a multitude of things and there's service time is a huge issue. And for people who follow baseball closely, sometimes you'll look at a young player and say, well, this guy, it's, he's going to be called up for the first time. Why haven't they called him up on opening day? Why are they not calling this guy up on opening day? And a lot of people do know, and they understand that it's service time manipulation. They understand that if they call him up maybe a month into the season, they can reset his clock where you get an extra year of control. Now that's very important for team owners because that guy's a free agent a year later. Now, when you're making $500,000 and you're making the team tens of millions of dollars as an individual on the team, that matters a lot. And the players, which no one's guaranteed a lengthy, contra a lengthy contract, a lengthy career, the average career is only a couple years. Service time manipulation is a huge issue for young players. Sometimes people say, well, what's the real big deal? It only takes you an extra year instead of making five hundred or instead of making ten million dollars, you'll make five hundred thousand for an extra year. What's the big deal? The average player doesn't get to that point. And that's why it's such that's why players are so strong on it. And so you have that. You have the DH. There's plenty of rules. There's the robot umpires. Do they want to implement that? And there's a lot going on in, in terms of who gets paid what. And people think it's just as simple as adding a DH and it's going to be for entertainment factor, but Adding a DH also adds more money that has to go into players. That's an extra player on the field. And if you... It's got to be a good that, player. So they're probably going probably to put up a pretty penny for it to get a good exactly. hitter. Exactly. Those players are going to be making anywhere from 5 to $15 million. Um, could be up to $20 million. You never know. And the owners, for the most part, we have to understand their goal. And their goal is not to grow the game. If they, if they, Their goal is to make as much money as possible. As unfortunate as that is, that's most for the most part what owners are out for a lot of owners are not like the way george steinbrenner was or jerry jones with the cowboys many owners are there so that they can see their margins increase year after year what can they do to increase those margins and a lot of what the players are fighting for doesn't help them increase their margins it helps baseball grow and if they don't really care about baseball growing if baseball stays where it's at or it slowly declines but their profits are still up they're happy so it's a standstill right now for sure I just want to hone in on one of those uh, for a minute. Going back to just the experience of a sport, <laughs> I gotta imagine you're not, you're not you're you're against this. I think I've seen you tweet about it. But what, just what are your thoughts about the idea of the of the robot empires and just like even the stuff they do with the box? Because to me, that's like yeah, I guess it's kind of cool to see if it was really on the line or not. Mm -hmm. But man, the part of the fun of baseball is the the umpire's judgment, and that is like a part of the game. And yes, maybe that results in injustices sometime or what have you. But it's part of the fun of the game. <laughs> it's part. It's part of baseball. Baseball, like WWE, they're different in plenty ways. But it's a storyline, yes. and a lot of times when you come back from the baseball field, you have a story to tell. The umpire sucked down the line, but essentially, what we're doing by going to robot umpires, which I have. I have supported in the past, but I've backtracked on that, is that if you take away part of the storyline mm. of baseball, you are diminishing the sport in some respects. Sure, you are gaining in to the point where, yeah, we have all the corrects, uh, the, the calls perfectly correct, but what AAA players, and they'll tell you that this upcoming year, these robots are not going to be perfect. There's going to be yeah. errors in software. 
And what happens? You get to a playoff game. Then who do you yell at? (laughs) Who do you yell at when the robot messes up? Sometimes calls are wrong, but they save the sport. And and I can explain that is when you slide in the second base, uh, an example that's sliding in the second base, Mm -hmm. and you come off the base by by an inch and the umpire says, no, 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 the play's dead. I called timeout. Maybe he didn't call timeout. So essentially what's happening is human element is saving the, the, really the mood of the sport and how it functions. And humans are very important in how baseball runs. Sure, a, a, a Joe West and, and a Angel Hernandez can absolutely destroy a playoff series, and I get that. And it's very frustrating. But my idea was that the umpires just need to be more accountable. I don't want to see the, the robots in there. I just want to see umpires that know if they make a mistake that is just egregious and is just not up to it's just not up to standards. They're going to see an impact on the, whether it's their salary or, or games that they're assigned in the future. They need to see these type, these type of um, just, just those type of protocols in place, because I don't want a guy making one wrong call in game 12 of the regular season. Now he can't umpire another game for the rest of the year. Sure. But when you're, when you're throwing Bryce Harper out the game, some of the game's best players out the game, because you're being emotional from something that happened two weeks ago, yeah. that can't happen in the game of baseball. So I want to keep the human element, but I also want to make sure that people are punished for gross negligence, to be honest with you. Sure. Yeah. Where, where do you, where do you see this going? Do you see us having, I got to think there's going to be some kind of season this year, but it also seems like we've gotten close enough to things that it's not going to be the same season as we would normally see. So where do you, where do you see this all going? I wouldn't be surprised if we play another 60 game season. And obviously that's Ooh. really unfortunate, but there's so much to discuss and there's so much that the players don't like right now. And this is really a snowball effect of Tony Clark, the president of the players association being as soft as he was over the years, because what, what ends up happening is that things compile. And then you look up and say, there's a lot we need to change. The players are all complaining all at once about 15 different things And are the owners going to come off of all 15 of these things that we know need to change? The answer is probably no. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to clean a room. That's a complete mess. But if you maintain some level of cleanliness, it's a lot easier to clean your room. Well, Tony Clark has a destroyed room right now and he's trying to figure out like very quickly in the matter of a month there, you have baseball saying we're going to hire a mediator. And I'm like, a mediator is not going to help these groups. It's just not because oftentimes when you hire a mediator, that person knows I'm hired by this group. So I'm going to try to get the other side to agree with them. And, and that's what the players probably feel. So the owners, hopefully, I mean, there's no telling when this is going to end, but I hope that some form of agreement is, is happening in the next month or so, because other than that, we're, we're going to, we're at risk of losing half the season or the whole season. And that's a, to me, that's a joke. Yeah. And I would think nobody wants that. I especially don't as a baseball fan. And I'm sure you don't as someone who covers it for a living. Um, last question, Gary, this will actually air a day afterwards. So we'll be able to see how accurate you were, but can we get a Super Bowl prediction for you for this Sunday? I'm going Bengals and that's going to surprise some people because I think the Rams are better in essentially every way. And the Bengals just have a better quarterback. They have a more reliable quarterback. Joe Burrow has been huge in big games. That's all the way down to college. The dude just shows up when you need him to. And there's no better time to show up than a Super Bowl game. And Matthew Stafford, what he's taking care of the ball pretty well. I, I can't remember if he threw one or two picks his last game, but Matthew Stafford 
can make some unthinkable mistakes. And in the Super Bowl where pressure's at its highest, it wouldn't surprise me if Matthew Stafford got picked off two or three times in this game and really destroyed field position and allowed Joe Burrow and that offense in Cincinnati to take off. And for the most part, it's going to be entertaining. There should be a lot of scoring, but in games where there's a ton of scoring, turnovers just can't happen. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on the fact that Stafford's going to turn the ball over, whether it's fumbling or throwing it to the other team. But I'm going to go Bengals, Joe Burrow, MVP. You want to toss out a, a score while we're at it? See, see how accurate we can get? Yeah, um, I'm going to go shoot. Let's go. Let's go 32, 32, 28 and would have been would have been higher scoring had there not been as many turnovers. I'm going to go 32, 28 Cincinnati. All right. Well, by the time most of you are listening to this, we will know how accurate Gary was. But either way, Gary, why don't you just give people the roundup of all the places they can find you, the best places to follow you. Obviously, Twitter Twitter is the best, uh, one of the best places. That's where I follow you. But let everybody know everything you're doing out there and how they can best support your work. Yeah. So like you said, Twitter at Gary Sheffield Jr., all platforms, Gary Sheffield Jr. But on YouTube, you can find me at NYY News TV or just Chef Talk. It's You can find me all the same there. Um, it's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. So whatever network that you choose to use. Um, I know a lot of people are going away from Spotify, depending on what they do with Joe Rogan, but, uh, but I can find you over at Apple podcasts and all that. So thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Gary. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Appreciate it. All right, gang. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gary Sheffield jr. I didn't really bring it up in the interview because I wanted it to be about him, but I'm not going to lie. I absolutely loved watching his father, Gary Sheffield, as a hitter. Uh, He joined the Yankees sometime in the mid-90s, and he was just the most amazing hitter to watch. The way he just swaddled that bat back and forth. My God, just one of my favorite hitters to watch ever. But anyway, (laughs) that's not what this was about. I just wanted to say that because I love Gary Sheffield, both the father and the junior now that he's been on the show. Speaking of shows, there are so many on the Lions of Liberty Network. You have me. Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire every single Monday. You can find that here on the network feed or here on the Lions of Liberty Mark Claire feed, depending on where you're listening. You can find them on both is the point. So choose your poison. But either way, we highly encourage you to support us on Patreon. Help us grow. Help us do what we've been doing for over eight years now. You can do that on Patreon, where you get access to many, many different tiers, many, many different benefits, including producing episodes of this program, uh, including getting mentions on this program, like I'm going to do in just a second. But find it all at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. For those of you that are Patreon adverse, you can check out our locals page at lionsofliberty.locals.com. Speaking of those Patreon mentions, one of them that I've been doing for quite a long time now because they've been longtime supporters of this show, longtime fans of this show, that is Nate and Charlie, our good friends from Good Morning Liberty. These guys kill it. They crush it. Five days a week. They are talking about the news, current events, filtering it all through the ideas of liberty. Not just that, you learn a lot from these guys. They are really know a lot about marketing, uh, about the stock market. You can really, they're way smarter than me. I'll, I'll just say that right now. They, they know a lot more about how a lot of different things uh, work in the world um, than I do. I'm just going to be honest about this, or at least about certain things. Let's put it that way. They know a lot more about stock trading than I do. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, either way, you got to check out Good Morning Liberty five days a week. What a better way to start your day or the afternoon since sometimes they come out a little later it doesn't really that's not really the point the point is go subscribe to good morning liberty on your favorite podcatcher today and that is all i have got until next week my friends 
I implore you to continue to live long and live free and live free and live free and live free.